name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Not just any words, but the words of the Lord. Some of you may know about me already that I love words, all words, lots of words. I was a French literature major in college, so um, if you look at my writing ever sort of critically, you'll find that I love a good run-on sentence. And that's because in French, the phrasing is really different, and they value these long, beautiful sentences with these different chunks and sort of layer upon layer of descripting word before the period ever comes. Proust is maybe the most famous. His sentences literally go on pages at a time before you find a period. Pages. And so I love words. I love um, the images that they create. And I love the challenge that is sort of elusive and ethereal of trying to capture something in one language and translate it into another. We never quite capture the whole thing. We always lose just a little bit. And still, I love the words. I love what we can create with them, what we can build with them. We are surrounded by words, just constantly surrounded. And I thought for a long time that my life would be about those words, about sort of translating some of those words, about um, I especially love sort of late Middle Ages, early Renaissance French literature. And if you know anything about that period, you know that um, the printed word was rare then, and it was precious, and it was expensive. And now, that's not really the case. We are, we're surrounded by words. You have words in here, many of them. There are words in books, and on your Kindles, and on your iPhones, and on the signs, and the street corners, and the radio, and the news, and the newspaper, and gosh, it's everywhere. We are saturated with words. Words that can also become a distraction. Words that come to us in text messages and emails and take us away from the moment that we're in and the people that we're with and take us back into a world of either work or anxiety or sort of bring to mind things that we shouldn't be focusing on when we could be in the moment enjoying our life and the people that we're with. And so words, there are, you know, there are some great words and words that matter and words that help and then there are all of the words that distract us and take us away. And sometimes I'm not sure we know the difference anymore because there are so many of them everywhere, all the time. In the gospel this morning, there are a bunch of words that I don't like, and I feel like I need to be kind of honest about that. It is my habit to read the gospel for the coming Sunday, all the texts actually, for the coming Sunday on Monday morning. And I read the first two, and I read the psalm, and I got to Luke, and I read the first two sentences, and then I stopped, because I really don't like this story at all. And so I waited until Wednesday to read it, because I don't like these words. I don't like the words of the passage. I don't like Martha's words. I don't like Jesus's words. I don't like the words. 
and still we have to look at them. And it's an interesting story, really. Jesus comes to Bethany, he goes to a house, a house that belongs to Martha and Mary, and their brother Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead. These are people that Jesus loves, people that he knows tremendously well by the end of his life. In many ways, they're like chosen family. They're bonded and connected, and they're, and they're an intimate part of Jesus' life and story. And so he goes to this house, and at this point in his ministry, we have to remember he probably has a little bit of an entourage. He doesn't just show up by himself. He probably has 20 or 30 people following him around, plus the disciples. So there's 30 or 40 people that have just showed up at Martha's house, uninvited. And I don't know what you would do if 30 or 40 people showed up at your house uninvited, but probably one of the first things I would do is go to the kitchen and see what I could feed them. Because not for nothing, people who are hungry are not usually the best to be around, especially when there's 30 or 40 of them and you haven't met any of their needs and you didn't know they were coming. So don't fault Martha for that response at all. In fact, I sort of admire it, if I'm honest, because it's exactly what I would do. And I think that cooking and feeding people is good and holy and sacred work. And there are plenty of other stories in the gospel where it's clear that Jesus feels the same way. And still we have to contend with what he says in this text. Now, it's not a shining moment for Martha, let's be honest. How many good conversations have you had in your life that start with questions like, don't you care that I'm doing all the work? <laughs> That's not really a great way to start a good conversation. Don't you see that I'm the only one who's trying here and that she's really not doing anything? I don't know about you, but in my life, that doesn't usually go very well. And that's how she starts. So we have to look at that a little bit and imagine that she's feeling some resentment. And, and I, I can't blame her for that. It's a human feeling, right? I mean, how many of us at some moment in our lives have been the one who felt like they were doing all the work? And you look at somebody else, whether it's your friend or your spouse or your brother or sister or whatever, and you look at them and you're like, I literally am carrying all the water for you right now. <laughs> And it would be nice if you just cared or like even said thank you. Like that would be great. So she's resentful. And she's probably resentful not just because she's doing the work, but also because there's something special that's happening out there. The text tells us that she is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's taken on a particular posture. So all of the disciples and Mary are sitting out there you know, you could imagine them sort of in the living room, kind of sitting around, and Jesus is kind of holding court. He's talking, and he's teaching, and he's telling stories. And he's doing that Jesus thing, where he talks about love that changes everything, where he encourages the disciples to believe that they can build a new order, they can live in a new way, they can have abundance of life, even though the world around them tells them that they can't. So not only is there this man who is precious to them and special. He's telling these really good stories, and she's in the kitchen doing all the work and missing all of the magic. And she can see it, probably, and she can hear it, but she's not part of it. How human a response is it, then, to sort of go out and say, could you help me a little bit? The part that I really don't like about this text is Jesus' answer. Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. 
And because there are so many other stories in the gospel where Jesus is interested in feeding and interested in taking care of people's needs and interested in coming to the table, we can't discount the fact that Martha's work is important. But what Jesus is calling us to is sort of a deeper awareness of a, a need that I think often goes unseen, something that we are first to forget about, something that we sort of push off to the side when we get distracted and busy and tied into other things, and in particular when we get resentful of the fact that we feel like we're doing all the work. And that thing that Jesus is calling us to is Mary's posture. Above all else in this story, above the work, above the distraction, above everything else, Mary chooses a position, a posture of being a, a student, a learner, a disciple. She sits at Jesus' feet and shows us that the most important thing, more important than food, more important than water, more important than anything else that could distract us, is Jesus and the words he is saying. The words of God. The words that create new order. The words that invite us into new life. The words that can change us and transform us. And the living word, who, who is Jesus incarnate, the word that was present at the beginning of time that God uses to speak all of this into existence and then takes on human flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus as a person, the living word, as well as the words that he's actually saying. Mary understands that there's nothing more important than that. In the passage that we heard from Amos, there are a number of sort of challenging prophecies. And the last one, the one that I started with, is about a famine, a famine of hunger for the words of the Lord. And the thing is, I think we live in that famine right now because we're so surrounded by words and ideas and stories and intellectual questions and political debates and sort of interpersonal struggles that we miss out on the words that actually matter. We miss out on the hunger for the words of the Lord. And that's the invitation of these texts this morning, is to remember that that hunger should come first in our lives, all the time, no matter what. And I can tell you from my own life and my own experience that my posture is different, my life is different, my approach to the people I love is different when I have those priorities in order. When the first thing that matters to me is sitting at his feet and taking in those words that are fundamentally about love and transformation and equality and justice. When that is the first piece of my life, everything else kind of falls into place. That's true for us as individuals, and it's true for us as a community, too. The churches that forget who they are and forget that this story is the most important thing are the churches where they get lost in the details and the logistics and the numbers and sort of the infighting and the personal preferences and, and lose track of the fact that our life here together is really intended to be part of this much bigger story. And so the invitation is both as individuals and as a community to remember that the most important posture we have as Christians is the one where we choose to be disciples and to sit at his feet and to take in the words, the living words, the words that challenge us to love and live differently. And the good news of that invitation, if we can do it, if we can sort of orient ourselves towards it, is that then we get to directly combat the famine that Amos is talking about. And I don't know about you, but it feels to me like there is a lot in the world that I can't fix, 
that I would love to fix, but I can't fix. And I don't know how we start to fix it. But what I do know is that if we as a community make this our primary posture, if this is where we start, if we see ourselves as an extension of this story, and if the most important thing we do together is study scripture and wonder about this story and figure out how we fit into it, then we will remember our identity and everything else will fall into place, just like it does in our personal lives when we remember that we are God's first and everything flows from there. The challenge of this text is to remember that it is our job to walk out of this space with those words in us. And there are other places in the gospel where Jesus talks about giving his words to the disciples so that they might grow roots and bear fruit within them, changing them and changing the world around them, which means that if we do that, then we have an opportunity to directly respond to this famine. We are surrounded by a world that is not hungry for the, world, for the words of God and does not know the difference between words that matter and words that don't. And I'd suggest that sometimes, because we are also part of the world, we forget too. And so the invitation of this text, the challenge of this text, is to remember that our primary posture, the place of our heart's desire, should be at his feet to hear those words, to take them in, and then to take them out into the world with us so that others might hear them and also hunger for the words of the Lord. What is it that Jesus would have you carry out today? What words would Jesus have you share? What part of this story do we have to play? And is it your primary posture to sit at his feet, to take in those words of love, and to understand how powerful they can be? Amen.